I had the chance to, to talk with my cousin Stephen this last week because um, he's been on my case to go, Bob, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should hang out from week to week and talk through, uh, through sermon prep. That way we can ask each other questions, you know, stir things up a bit more. And I'm like, yeah, 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 that's, what do you want to talk about? And he's like, well, we've completely changed the service structure at Port. So we're trialing it out where we have the sermon first, where everyone's still awake. I said, yeah, okay. I said, how's it going? He said, it's been really well received. Really, really well received. He said, and then after that, we, we, we actually end up finishing with announcements, you know, some of the practical how-to stuff, and then, you know, that, those conversations sort of carry on through um, to, to the morning tea time. I went, yeah, but it's been in my mind since to go, it's interesting that sometimes this beautiful, theologically rich and deep sort of stuff is it, is it the time of the morning where maybe the eyelids are just closing a little bit um, after we've been energetic, after we've prayed, after we've reflected? Um, so stay with me this morning. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's pray before we get into the text. I believe that there is some stuff the Lord really wants to present to us this morning. Lord Jesus, we do ask that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and our minds. Would you help us to understand your words, what you said, what you had written down and what now you have provided for us so that we can know you and walk with you? Would you give us understanding? And more than that, would you be at work in our hearts so that we can be obedient and live a transformed life? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would you would kind of peel our hearts open and shine your light in. Lord Jesus, where there are people who are here this morning who are feeling really chewed up and spat out from this last week, I ask that they would know your peace and your grace. Lord Jesus, those of us who who have had weeks that maybe have been confronting or frustrating or weeks where we're feeling hurt, Lord Jesus, would you minister to us so that we can focus on you? As Dick said this morning, that you would be the main thing. Lord Jesus, would you meet with us, please, by your spirit? We ask this in your precious name. Amen. All right, please have your Bible open. We're going to read um, the passage of the text, and then we're going to have a look through um, at a couple of key things. And this morning, I actually am going to put a couple of questions up and I want you to talk to the person next to you, around you, to have some discussion um, and we're going to feed back some answers to each other. But we're going to read here John chapter 20 and we're going to start really at verse 17. So if you have a Bible, please open it up. John chapter 20 and we're going to start reading at verse 17. We'll go down to about verse 23. So we're picking up where we left off, that Mary has, has had this experience with Jesus in the garden. And it says this, verse 17, Jesus said, do not hold on to me. She's just recognized that he is who he says he is, um, that, that he is Jesus because he has spoken her name. Verse 17, Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, 
I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And we talked a little bit last week about whether or not chronologically John has these in the right order or whether John's using this device, which we've seen him have before, where he gives a detailed snapshot after the kind of distilled story and whether or not that passage about Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene actually goes between verse 1 and verse 2. But then we pick up the narrative on verse 19. We find in the other Gospels this story about Jesus on the road to Emmaus where he goes walking and talking with some disciples where we only get told one of their names. But then this takes place in the evening. What we're about to read here. Verse 19 says this, On the evening of that first day of the week, which was a Sunday, which is why early Christians adopted Sunday as a day of worship, the day of the resurrection, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, They are not forgiven. Let's start with our first question for this morning. Why might Jesus say, peace be with you, twice? Talk to the person next to you. Have a look in the text that you have in front of you. And put yourself in the shoes of the disciples for a couple of minutes. Think about what the last 24 hours or the last 36 hours have held for them. Why might Jesus say, peace be with you, twice? All right, let's, let's start with, with some of the things that we think are pretty obvious. Why might Jesus say, peace be with you? You're allowed to call out, by the way. So that it sinks in. He says it twice because he wants it to sink in. They would be freaking out. Absolutely. I think that is a reasonable human response to having someone turn back up from the dead. If you didn't freak out, we would think there was something amiss. So so those who may not have heard, Ron was just saying, the second time he says it is after he's shown them his hands and his side. So that they understand what he's talking about. He's repeating himself. I think it's interesting as well that in that moment that it says that the disciples were overjoyed. That their response had shifted from being completely freaking out to being overjoyed. So the first time he says it is when he enters the room. The second time he says it is after it says the disciples were overjoyed. And he promised them this. He prophesied this to them. 
He said that, that in a little while you will not see me anymore. And then after that, your grief will turn to joy. Interesting. So our next question that I would love you to have a look at then is, is this question here. Who is in the room? Talk to the person next to you. Have a look at the text. I don't want you to believe a piece of artwork that you see. I want you to have a look at the Bible in your hands and to measure whether the artwork is accurate. Who was in the room? Talk to the person around you. Talk to the person around you. All right. So according to the words of Scripture, who was in the room? You're allowed to call out. One person said everyone except Thomas. The disciples. Okay. How many disciples? If, if we're talking about the 12, we know that one of them has gone out and hung himself and we know that Thomas is excluded from what's going on. We'll talk about Thomas in just a moment. But does it just say that the 10 were there? Because depending, depending on how we read this, Jesus had a group of women that followed him around as well. Jesus had other disciples. So... So we, the short answer is we're not quite sure. We're not quite sure he, who was in the room, but they are people who love the Lord. And Jesus is revealing himself to them. It's, I think it is pertinent that the instruction Jesus gives Mary Magdalene is he says, go instead to my brothers and tell them. And we're pretty sure that he's using that term not specifically to mean the other offspring of Mary and Joseph, but my other, to my brothers as meaning the disciples, that it was at least the ten who were present. And Jesus comes and he stands among them and he says, Peace be with you. Verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, the disciples were overjoyed and they saw the Lord. And now Jesus is about to actually give them some instructions. This is where he is going with this. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. Let's just sit with that phrase for a moment because that's pretty big. That is an enormous instruction. Imagine if Jesus actually appeared physically and verbally said to you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Can't back out. You can't back down. You can't run away from this. This is not up for negotiation. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The disciples right here are being commissioned. Jesus is about to commission them. 
he has told them that they're about to be sent in the same way that Jesus himself was sent. And after he gives them this instruction, after he says, all right, you are now commissioned, I am sending you, verse 22, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Next question. Talk to the person next to you. What is significant in Jesus breathing on his disciples? I might give you another minute or two to talk about this. What is significant in Jesus breathing on his disciples? What other passages of scripture come to mind? Some thoughts. What is significant in Jesus breathing on his disciples? You're allowed to call out. Sorry? It's like he's giving life to them. What passage of scripture might come to memory? Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. When the Lord creates Adam from the dust of the ground, one thing that separates Adam apart from all the rest of creation is that God does what? God puts his very breath inside Adam. And the scripture says, and he became a living soul. Interesting. What else, what else is significant? He's empowering them for service. He is, he's putting his very spirit inside of them. Now, it is noteworthy that this, I mean, we see in the scriptures as well that he tells them, don't leave Jerusalem. Because something else is going to happen. Don't leave Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit will come upon you in power. What happens in this passage is that attached to this commissioning right here and this impartation of the Spirit of God into them, is this is a distinctly different experience to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts. It's interesting. I mean, this stuff can get really controversial in Christian experience really quick because the disciples have the Holy Spirit and yet they are not empowered to go out and preach the gospel until there is a separate subsequent encounter with the Holy Spirit that happens. Man, you want to pick a fight in a church, start talking about separate subsequent encounters with the Spirit of God. What else is noteworthy about Jesus breathing into his disciples? We've already talked about it. Who is in the room? Let me ask it differently. Who is not in the room? Thomas. Does Thomas miss out? Let me take you to a passage of scripture. Just for a moment as a tangent. Um, Turn with me back to the book of Numbers. The fourth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And we're going to go back to Numbers chapter 11 because there is something, I think, here about the Spirit of God which I would love for us to understand. Numbers chapter 11, and we're going to read from verse 16. Actually, we'll read from verse 13. Numbers 11, verse 13. Moses is having a conversation with the Lord. And in verse 13, we pick up the story. 
Numbers 11, verse 13, Moses says this, where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. Fascinating conversation for Moses to have with the Lord. If I have found favor in your eyes, kill me if I found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. Don't know if you've had a conversation with the Lord like that recently. Verse 16, the Lord replies, the Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Jump down to verse 26. So Moses follows the Lord's instructions. Then it says this, verse 26. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders but did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. The Lord comes down in a cloud, pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Put your finger in your Bible, otherwise you'll read on because Numbers is awesome. Come back with me to John's gospel. Let's ask the question again. Does Thomas miss out? I suggest to you it is unlikely Because the way that we see the Lord operate before is that Thomas probably would have had a very, very interesting day if Thomas was not present. And yet we see this other conversation that happens that he doesn't actually believe that they've encountered Jesus. We'll get to that uh, when we have a look at that next week. But it's this idea playing out in the scripture that something of the Spirit of God is, is given to a person And when it is given to that person, there is a responsibility that goes with it. The Lord does not give the spirit of God to someone just so they can feel like there's electricity running all over their body. He does not give his spirit to someone just so they can have a tremendous emotional experience as beautiful and as as grace filled as those moments may be. Here, the Lord breathes and gives his spirit to his disciples and says what? Verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. There are some uh, forms of Christianity which when they read that passage of scripture, the conclusion they arrive at is that the authority to either forgive sin or to hold people in indebtedness to God for their sins rests then with people who become um, 
church leaders or bishops or pastors or ministers or deacons or elders or overseers, uh, whatever term we choose to use. And there are some forms of Christianity where if you want to be absolved of your sin because of this passage of Scripture and their interpretation of it, you have to go and confess your sin and have your sin declared forgiven by a minister or a priest. Some forms of Christianity uh, teach that. The position which has become the dominant position, particularly for this church and our tradition, since the time of the Reformation, is that we have to read this passage in accord with the rest of the New Testament, which says anyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That forgiveness is something that God has already put in place. And in the same way that God gives his spirit to the prophets in the Old Testament, that they did not make decisions for God, but they were the mouthpiece to declare what God had already decided. That's the way the Holy Spirit works and that that's the way we are to understand this passage of Scripture. So let me explain this a little bit differently. If you were a prophet in the Old Testament and God put his spirit on you, say that you were Jonah. We know the story. God says, you know what? I'm going to judge Nineveh. Go and tell them that I am going to judge them. And so Jonah says, all right, he goes eventually. Uh, He gets a little bit sidetracked on the way. But eventually when he goes and he delivers the decision of God, the people repent. And then God says, okay, cool. I'm going to save them now. I am deciding to now do the next thing in light of their repentance. And Jonah is upset and fed up. Because God's decision has changed. Jonah is just the mouthpiece. And here we have the disciples and the spirit of God is given to them. And God says, here is the message you've already heard. You know about the forgiveness of God. If you go and tell people that their sins are forgiven, if someone is repentant, if someone is seeking God and you declare to them the forgiveness of sins, then their sins are forgiven. They have heard the message. It has engaged. It has hooked up. But if you decide to shut down and never go and tell anyone about the forgiveness of God, then the forgiveness of God doesn't make contact with people. If you retain their sins, if you go, you know what, I'm not going to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ with people, then then you yourself have become the bottleneck. If you retain the sins of any, I retain the sins of any. He's not giving them power. He's giving them culpability. He's making them responsible for the preaching about him. Now, why is this important? Here is what I believe the Lord wants us to understand out of this this morning. Jeremiah. Turn with me to Jeremiah. This will be a good example. Jeremiah is about 60% of the way through your Bible. And we're going to be in chapter 20. Jeremiah is one of the major prophets. So you'll find him shortly after Psalms. He's next after Isaiah. And let me tell you why this is as important for us today as it was for the disciples back then. Jeremiah chapter 20, 
Jeremiah is having this conversation with the Lord. We're going to pick it up at verse 7. He says this. Remember, this is the Lord's prophet, the Lord's mouthpiece, the one who is supposed to take God's words and put them out there. And Jeremiah says this. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Chapter 20, verse 8. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is like a fire. It's in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Jeremiah is having a a great carp and whinge at the Lord because when he, like the disciples, opens his mouth like you, when he opens his mouth and he delivers God's message, he is not about to be popular. And yet if he closes his mouth, then people are cut off from God. And this is, this is exactly the same for these disciples as it is for us. You probably have days, maybe one every 20 years, where you get upset with someone. I have more than one every 20 years. And it, it is easy. I know, I, I don't want to overstate my case. But it is easy when we are annoyed, when we are angry, when we are tired, when we are frustrated. When we're in that space like where Moses was, oh, Lord, can you just end it? Please take me home. To go, you know what? The last thing I want to do right now is open my mouth and proclaim to that person the forgiveness of the Most High God. If we get really, really upset, the enemy will come in and the enemy will say, if you keep your mouth shut, maybe they will be cut off. What a horrific thought. There was a video I played here about probably 12 months ago of a really famous um, illusionist, a guy by the name of Penn Gillett from Penn and Teller. And he is an out and out atheist. And yet he said that he does not respect Christians who don't proselytize, Christians who don't get out there and actually share their beliefs. He said, because how, how messed up inside would you have to be to have the greatest hope in the universe, so Christians say, and yet not share it with people? This applies to us. The gospel is in your hands. And if you open your mouth and if you proclaim the salvation of God, then guess what? People come into contact with the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It lays hold of them. It can transform their life. They can find healing. They can find forgiveness. They can find eternal salvation. They come into contact with the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Jesus. And if we go, you know what? I'm, I don't want that person to have their sins forgiven. I'm going, to do, I'm going to do a Jonah here and sit under a tree until a worm eats it because I'm upset that God wants to forgive that person. In the same way that the Holy Spirit was on the prophets and on Moses and on the disciples, the Holy Spirit is in you. If you belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to you, his spirit is in you. And guess what? You and I have culpability for the gospel's sake. 
you and I have the opportunity to either be the floodgate or the bottleneck. So how's your heart this week? Is there someone who you're upset with this week that you actually need to lay that down and you need to go, all right, Lord, please give me the strength to love that person and to proclaim your salvation in Jesus Christ to them, not just with my words, but with my actions to unhook that person out of my heart, to forgive them where they need to be forgiven. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. He trusts us so much, don't you think? Maybe you've, you've had that same daydream that I've had where you go, you know what, Lord Jesus, if you just turn up, that would be sufficient. Can you just visit that person? You know, can you just have that conversation with them? But Jesus chooses to work through human beings, through the 10 people in this room and through Thomas, who we'll have a look at next week, through the others who would come into contact with him. He knocks Paul to the ground later on in the book of Acts. And then God puts his gospel and his hope in you. You are the vehicle. You are the messenger. You are the ambassador. What a fascinating thought. So how do we take this and how do we actually ground it? Because maybe you're having a good week. Maybe there's no one who is particularly in your mind right now that you want to cut off from salvation. That's good if there's no one who has that status in your life right now, by the way. That is a good thing. You will end up somewhere. Your walk with Jesus will end up somewhere. And it will either end up somewhere by accident or it will end up somewhere on purpose. You putting the gospel out into your family and your group of friends and colleagues or people that you socialize with or people that you're in contact with will either play out without a plan or it will play out with a plan. And the last thing I want is, is for you or for me or for, for us as a community to find ourselves one day going, you know what, it's been so many years and nothing has magically, mystically, spontaneously happened. Because the disciples needed to actually get up and go out and open their mouth and speak. And the Spirit of God was there, as we find out in Acts chapter 2, to give them boldness. But the decision still rests with the disciples. If you lack boldness... Please let me sit and pray with you and we will seek the Lord together and we will ask for boldness. If you are brave enough to ask the Lord for boldness. But let's be real about our own attitude here. If we go, you know what? I am, perhaps I'm planning to not share the gospel. Maybe that's your plan. I am planning to not open my mouth and to not speak. I am planning to simply grin and bear it and hang on tight and hopefully I'll make it on my own. 
but I'm certainly not planning to share it with anyone. Maybe that's actually the default setting which has been playing out in your life. I encourage you this morning, maybe revise that. Your walk with the Lord will end up somewhere either by default or on purpose. If you want to know how to open your mouth and share about the hope of Jesus, please come and chat with me. I will give you hours and hours and hours. We can, we can whiteboard. If you're like me and you're like whiteboarding and planning stuff, I will come with you if you need me to come with you. But, but we can't take a, a verse like this and just put it to the side. We can't say, oh, that was just for, for the apostles. But that's not for me. You know, the Holy Spirit may have worked that way when the Holy Spirit came upon Jeremiah and upon Elijah and Isaiah. When it came upon Jonah, when the Holy Spirit was with Moses, when the Holy Spirit was on Paul and the Holy Spirit was on Peter and on John. But no, the Holy Spirit's in me and he's going to work completely different with me. I don't think we have that argument safely. I know that there are people who are in this room who are very, very, very skilled at talking to other people. I know there are people who are in this room who have significant training behind them. Uh, I know that if you want to learn how to talk to people, please have a chat with Dick Hawthorne. Okay? Have a chat, have a chat with Arthur. Have a chat with the guys who are involved in Gideon's because they do training about this sort of stuff. If you want to have a Bible in your hand and if you want to have that kind of equipping, chat with those guys. Get involved in Gideon's. There's a whole lot of different groups who aim to do this, but let us not simply do nothing. And let's be aware of what's going on in our own heart. If it's fear that is holding you back, let's deal with the fear. If it's anger or hurt or unforgiveness that's holding you back, let's deal with the anger and the hurt and the unforgiveness. These apostles were about to encounter extraordinary hurt. They were going to be hunted and beaten. And here Jesus is saying, if you don't open your mouth, then forgiveness is not going to reach the people you're trying to get to. Let's pray. Then we will do one more song. Lord Jesus, this is hard stuff because it's not complicated. And if this was complicated, maybe we could say this was for other people and we could put it to the side. Lord Jesus, we see that this is confronting because it involves every one of us. And Lord, you know those of us who are afraid to open our mouth where fear is a really big thing. Lord Jesus, you know those of us who, who don't feel equipped. You know those of us even who have had really difficult or negative experiences trying to share our faith with other people. And Lord Jesus, I ask that we would be brave enough to pray for boldness. That we would hear your words to the disciples. That we would know that we being your disciples may well have been people who are in that room. We don't know how many men and women were there. But Lord Jesus, we hear your words to us this morning. We want people to know you. We want people to meet you for themselves 
And Lord Jesus, please help us to not get in the way of that happening. Would you help us to be obedient as we seek to serve you? And Lord Jesus, help us please to to address the stuff going on in our own hearts. Whether we feel unworthy, whether we feel like we've made too much of a mess out of things, whether we feel too ill-equipped, whether we feel like we can't talk properly, Lord Jesus, would you step past that? As As you step past that with Moses, as you step past that with Gideon, as you step past that with Ezekiel, Lord Jesus, would you help us to step past that as well into obedience and trusting you that you are enough? Lord Jesus, would you be at work in our hearts, agitating us and stirring us up, helping us to be so aware in those little moments where there is an opportunity for the great hope of you to enter our conversation with someone and just maybe change eternity. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.